morning, everybody. I want to thank our visitors that are with us, and it's great to have uh, Russ and Fran back with us, and Charles and Ruth from South Carolina, and, and I just want to say thank you uh, to, to all those who are visiting. If you're visiting for the first time, and if you have questions as to our worship service, uh, how we conduct our services, why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe, please allow us to answer those questions after the service is concluded. If you look on the screen behind me, it says, what is truth? This is such a very important question. But before we get into this, this uh, lesson on what is truth, you guys ever see those little penny scales in the malls? There's this woman and her husband, she was, they were going out to the mall shopping together, and the husband went reluctantly, but he goes with her anyways, and they're at the mall, and he sees one of these penny scales. Those penny scales are those little things where you step on it, and it'll show you, it'll give you like your weight and your fortune. And so they step on it, and he gets his weight and his fortune, and it pops out a little card, and, he, and his, he looks at his wife, and he says, hey, look at this. It says, I'm energetic, I'm bright, and I'm resourceful. And it says, yeah, well, it lied about your weight, too. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes when we think about what is truth, the truth, it can hurt, right? And so we have to be careful. Have you ever had, you know, sometimes we as individuals, we get a little insecure, and we'll say, hey, does this suit make me fat? Does this suit make me look fat, or does this dress make me look fat, right? So sometimes we have to be careful on the questions we ask, right? Because sometimes the truth can hurt. And so I want you to imagine this morning. I want you to imagine for a moment a world that did not contain truth. I want you to consider a world where all truth is relative. In other words, you know, no truth is firm. What is true for you may, may not be true for me. You know, what kind of world would that be? What would that world look like if there were no standards for truth? I want you to think about what would the world look like if there were no standards for truth. In other words, truth is whatever you want to make it. Does any of this kind of sound familiar with kind of what's going on in society right now? You know, I want you to think about uh, society in which parents no longer teach their children that there is this thing called absolute truth or, uh, or moral absolutes, if you will. Think about how our kids would turn out if mom and dad says, you know, there's really no right or wrong. You know, just... You know, sweetie, whatever makes you feel good, if it makes you happy, hey, I'll stand behind you. Can you imagine a world where that's the instruction that parents gave their children? What kind of society would we have if there is no standard for truth? What kind of society would we have if we just all made up our own truth? And so there would be disastrous consequences, would there not? There would be consequences to this type of mindset that there are no truths, there are no absolute truths, no moral absolutes, and the world would be a place of cruelty and anarchy. And anarchy would reign supreme. So brethren, this morning, I ask these questions because if you haven't noticed, we're seeing the fruit of this mindset all throughout society today. We're seeing the fruit of this mindset all throughout American society today. Before we get too far into this, we really need to stop for a second and define what truth is. Well, when we understand what the word means, then it can be, it's easier to understand the importance of knowing what truth is. Amen? And so one idea uh, on truth is firmness, stability, constancy. Webster's Pocket Dictionary defines truth as conformity to fact, integrity, consistency, exactness, verified fact. I mean, those are some different uh, resources that you could look up to find out how they define truth. But we know that, biblically speaking, truth is the foundation from which we build our very lives, not only build our lives, but that where our thoughts and our ideas should stem from. 
This morning in John chapter 17, 17, Noah read the scripture, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Well, who's your? Oftentimes when we do Bible study, I'll always tell you when you see he, they, them, your, who is he, they, them, your? Who is speaking? Who are they speaking to? And in this example, in John chapter 17, we see Jesus giving the high priestly prayer, as, often, as it is often called. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying to the Father. He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Allow the truth to set them apart from the world. And so, brethren, we know that truth is something that transcends time. Truth is the thing that, we could, that, that actually anchors uh, something that we can anchor our lives to. And so if there were no truth, then we would have no foundation for which to build our lives. And if the foundation, if truth is always wa is wavering, if truth is always ever shifting, ever moving, then the foundation is going to begin to fall apart. The foundation is going to come apart and the building of our lives is going to collapse in on itself. And so, brothers and sisters, we need, as a society, we need to understand that in our current state, in society, in America, increasingly, uh, American society is increasingly intolerant to truth. It's increasingly intolerant to truth, and we are reaping the fruits of that. That you can no longer know truth. And that there is no truth, and that truth really is relative. Meaning that whatever you want it to be, Whatever you want it to be, that's what truth will be. And so America's society has shifted to the point that there is no absolute truth that we can base our lives upon, and you're seeing chaos throughout most of the major cities in this country. In John chapter 18, Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth, and everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate simply asked the question, he, or he asked something, he says, what is truth? Well, was Pilate asking a rhetorical statement, or did he have a sincere de desire to know what truth is? Well, as we look to answer that question, what is truth, here this morning, I'm going to share some results from you from a poll that was taken back in 2002. Now, I say that because I want you to think about that. 21 years have, uh, have gone by. 2002, the Barna Group had, had conducted a poll. And in this poll, they asked some different survey questions. One of the questions was about absolute truth versus subjective truth. They divided the, uh, the, the people taking the, uh, the survey into two groups, teens and adults. And I want you to understand, 21 years had gone by uh, since, that, uh, since that poll. The, the teens in that poll, would have been, or in that survey, would have been the millennial group that we call today. And so I want you to see how they answer the questions. And I want you to see if there's a correlation between how they answer absolute truth versus subjective truth and the nature of truth, if, there is, if it's bearing evidence in what we see in society today. Is truth absolute or subjective? Adults surveyed of the, on the nature of truth said this. 64% of those adults said truth is relative to the person and their situation. This is 21 years ago. 22% said that there are moral absolutes that are unchanging. 14% said, I have never really thought about it. The teens who were surveyed with the same question about the, serve, uh, about the nature of truth said, 83% of them believe that truth is relative to the person and their situation. That was 21 years ago. It's relative to, their, to that person and their situation. 6% said that their moral absolutes are unchanging. 
and 11% said, I have never really thought about it. The next question was uh, about, the next question in the survey was about truth and moral decision making. The adults answered on moral decision making said, 31% said it's based on what feels right. 15% say it's based on what parents have taught them. 10% say it's based on personal outcome. 13% said it's based on biblical principles. 31% said it's based on some other method. The teens who answered that same question about truth and moral decision making, 38% said it's based on what feels right. 16% said it's based on best personal outcome. 10% said it's based on what makes most people happy. 10% said it's based on expectations of others. 10% said it's based on values taught by parents. 9% said it's based on some other method. And only 7% said it's based on biblical principles. Brethren, you look at this information. These figures were cited by George Barna in, in the Barna Group that was conducted 21 years ago. Barna has, has more recently uh, put out some more statistics, and I'm not going to go over all of those here this morning, but the, sustain, but the, the key to the, 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 to the most recent study is that substantial numbers of people who identify as some form of Christian believe that activities such as abortion, homosexuality, cohabitation, drunkenness, viewing pornography, sexual fantasies, are all morally acceptable. Well, why is that? Well, because if you go back and you look at the statistics, 64% of those adults who were uh, polled said that truth is always relative to the person and their situation. 83% of the teens said truth is relative to the person and their situation. And so uh, if you think about those statistics 21 years ago, and you look at where we're at today in society and what we're seeing in society. Do we now base decision-making on God's standard as a collective whole in American society or not? There used to be, the, it used to be a time in this country when the majority, 83% of the country, identified as Christian. Now that number for the first time in the history of our country is below 50%. Think about that. That's just in the last 35 years. For the first time in our country, uh, less than 50% of the people identify as Christians. You can see how the answers to those questions and how if you were to take a recent poll today, that those numbers would be far worse. They would be far worse and a vast majority of people would believe that truth really truly is relative. So what's the point? Americans today are most likely to base their truth on feelings and desires. The truth is, it, 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 it kind of goes back to when you look at Ecclesiastes. You go back, you look at King Solomon, and he says, he makes that statement, there's truly nothing new under the sun. Well, when you think about that, most of Americans now are making decisions based on feelings, based on desires, based on emotions. There's nothing new under the sun. For every generation of people have had similar mindsets. Most countries who started out to be strongly Christian countries slowly, slowly, slowly fade away from grace. Slowly fade away from the cross. Slowly fade away from belief in all that God commands of them. So brothers and sisters, you look at this information, the sad reality is that those stats were from 21 years ago, and if they were taken here today, I guarantee you they would be far worse. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, can we know truth? Today I want us to kind of go down a path that will show you that God is truth, that God is the way, that God is the light, 
And as we, as we open our Bibles here this morning, the Bible states objectively that there is truth and that God is truth. And that's what John 17, 17 told us here this morning. God is a God of truth and Jesus is the manifestation of that truth. In John chapter 14 and verse 6 on the screen behind me, we see that the, uh, the, the apostle John said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I, and I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus is full of truth, and Jesus, is, uh, he spoke the truth. We know that if we had more time, we could look at passages like John 1.14 that said Jesus is full of truth, and John 8 and 45 that talks about how Jesus spoke the truth. Brethren, the Spirit the Holy Spirit spoke the truth and revealed it to the apostles as, was, as he was sent by Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father. And that's why John 17, 17 says, Jesus tells the Father, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Set, allow the truth to be what sets them apart from a, a sin-filled, dark world. And so in John chapter 16 and verse 13, notice what the scriptures say. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, <clears throat> he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Brethren, this is Jesus talking to his most inner circle, his apostles. Before his death, he gives them these, these instructions. <clears throat> Before he ascends back into heaven in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus tell them to go to, the, uh, to, go, to go to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit, to wait for the Helper which I promised that you would, uh, you would receive. And so, brethren, we see that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Why? Because He is God. And the Scriptures teach that the Word of God which came by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is truth. And so we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. Brethren, the scriptures teach us that truth comes from God the Father, as Noah read this morning. Jesus also prayed that the truth would, would sanctify us. That means to set us apart from the world, that we can be holy in a, in a holy and righteous God's sight. So brethren, we can be holy, so as the world sees us, as they, as they evaluate our, our lives, as they evaluate our actions, as they evaluate our words, that they could see God in us. Brothers and sisters, you think about what the scriptures teach, and we know, brethren, in Romans chapter 2, we're going to see that, that scripture, that the judgments of God are also called truth. In Romans chapter 2, in the, in, the King, in the New King James Version, it says, we know that the judgment of God is according to what? It's according to truth <clears throat> against those who practice such things. Well, what are the such things that Romans chapter 2 and verse 2 are talking about? It's talking about uh, desires of the flesh. It's talking about uh, worldly things, and which, are, are, which are found to be contrary to the very teachings of God, contrary to the scriptures. So brethren, as we look at the, the, these passages so far this morning, we could easily see that there's a biblical view of truth. We know that God is truth. Jesus is truth. The Spirit is truth. And the Word of God is His truth that guides and leads our lives. It's the foundation in which we build the church. It's the foundation in which this congregation will grow. And it's the foundation in which we will look like Christ to all that we, to all that we interact with. So ask yourselves, what is the nature of truth? Ask yourself, what is the nature of truth? Is it absolute? Can we know truth? 
What does the scripture say about this? Well, in John chapter 8, and verse 32, Jesus and his teaching says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, brethren, this means that the Bible is true, the Bible is absolute, and the truth can be known. We don't have to guess what God is implying. We don't have to guess what we need to do for salvation. We don't have to guess on how we're supposed to treat our wives. We don't have to guess, fill in the blank. God gives us answers to all the most pertinent uh, 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 sections of life. God gives us answers to all the various, uh, various crossroads of life that we're going to, uh, to, in a, to encounter. And he tells us how we are to conduct ourselves. He tells us how we are to do all that we are to do to bring glory and honor to God. Amen. Brethren, all truth in Christianity comes from God and must be known. I, I mentioned this passage of scripture in Bible study this morning. It says, be diligent to present yourself to prove to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I heard this morning that a preacher once said that this isn't for the congregation, this is just for the preacher. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. This passage of scripture talks, is talking to all Christians. Yes, we call it, modern day Christians call these letters the pastoral letters, but that wasn't what they called them back in the day. That wasn't what they called them in the first century. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we know that Timothy was an evangelist. We know that Paul sent Timothy and Titus and others to go out and to protect the word, to set things in order. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he says, i got to go to Macedonia, but you need to stay on at Ephesus a little longer. Why? To make sure you're teaching, uh, them to, uh, teaching those men to not teach strange doctrine. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman is, a, is something that is for all Christians. It's not just the concept for preachers. And so you look at the scriptures here this morning. To know the truth of God, we must know his word. His word is truth, and we have to put forth effort into knowing it, to studying it. So that way we can then take it out with confidence and with love and with gentleness to all we come in contact with. You know, we also know the truth must be obeyed. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Brethren, does the Bible say anything about combining truth with combining the truth with, along with man's teachings, man's ideas, man's precepts, man's rules? Notice what Mark chapter 7 tells us in regards to truth. Mark 7, verse 7 and 9 says, But in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandments of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He, had, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your own traditions. Obviously, man-made doctrine is a rejection of the truth of God, for God's word can never be compromised. Brethren, how is truth tied to salvation? In the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, he says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his own steps. That's why we can know, brethren, that uh, uh, man's ways are not God's ways. God's ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. And so we have to understand that while, yes, we may think we have some good ideas, if it's something that is going to be contrary to the word of God, we must put a stop to it. Amen. For God's word is truth. God's word is what will set us free. 
not my own thoughts, not my own conclusions. Brethren, we have to be obedient in all things to the scriptures. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Brothers and sisters, the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ, and this we teach. John chapter 14 and verse 6, again, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. So friends and family, if we walk in truth and obediently follow the truth, we have the promise of salvation. And Jesus teaches us that there is an obligation that we have regarding truth. In John chapter 8, in verse 31 and 32, Jesus says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Brethren, the word if indicates that there is an obligation. And if there is an obligation, we have to make sure that we continue in his word. And if we continue in his word, we shall know it and it shall set us free. And then we are to then not just uh, uh, hoard the word. We're to take that word and go out into the world. To go out into the world to do what? To teach. And that's why we must be diligent, always presenting ourselves as a workman who needs not to be ashamed. So that way we're ready in season and out of season to talk to friends, talk to family members. That's why we're doing the, uh, the, the foundational pillar study on Sunday mornings in Bible study. Many of you that are here today and there are many of that are, you that are here for our normal worship services are not in the Bible study. And I would encourage you to attend that Bible study. We're teaching the most basic tenets of our faith. We're giving proof for Jesus being a, a, a reliable historical figure. We're giving proof for the, the historicity of the Bible, for the inspiration of the Bible. We're, show, we're talking about the miracles and the prophecies and the scientific foreknowledge. All of this information that you could use to do what? To go and to talk to your friends and family, to share the love of God with them, to share the love that God for, has for them, that he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for us and that we have salvation in his blood. You see, brethren, we know that when we look at truth, we can understand what truth is, but in society right now, truth is truly relative. Everybody's telling everybody that you can't know truth. There is no universal truth that guides this world. They're telling us that whatever your life experience uh, uh, shows you, then go with it. If it makes you happy, go with it. If it feels good, do it. That's not what God says. I, I, I've told you guys many times that when I was growing up in my, in my Catholic upbringing, I was doing the things that they would ask me to do, and, and yet I was doing many other things that I didn't know the Scriptures spoke against because I didn't know the Scriptures, and people would say, Dave's a good person. But they were, they were comparing me to worldly standards. But when Dave compared himself, third person, yes, I know, when I compared myself to, uh, to the Scriptures, I found out I was an abomination. Well, which one is it? Was I an abomination or was I, was I a good guy? You see, brethren, whose standard we use is crucial. Whose standards we use to understanding what is right and what is wrong is crucial. Because God's standard is vastly different than our standards. So, brothers and sisters, John chapter 10, verse 15, or 15 and verse 10 says... If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. 
Friends and family, when it comes to truth, many people believe that they can look to the uh, human creeds, they can look to human op opinions in addition to what the Bible teaches. But this is only man's opinion. When I was coming out of Catholicism, this next passage is one of those uh, passages that hit me like a ton of bricks. It's Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. And this is a warning. It warns us, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the uh, uh, traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we know and learn in Scripture that the, the, the narrow gate is the only gate that leads to life. Yes. We know that we are called to examine everything carefully. We learn about these two ideas in Matthew 7 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The scriptures instruct us to test all things, to determine if something is opinion or determine if something truly is God's word. And we learn about that in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. And in Acts 17 and verse 11, the apostle Paul, he came to the Bereans. He was speaking to the Bereans. He was teaching the Bereans. And it says that they worked day and night to see if the things that he taught were in fact true. Well, why did they do that? They were wanting to know, was this man teaching opinion or was this man teaching fact? Fact as, uh, that we can know from the word of God. And so when they compared the word of God, they saw that Paul was preaching the truth of God. The word of God, brothers and sisters, is not based upon opinion. Truth is objective. What do I mean that truth is objective? It is not influenced by personal feelings. It is not influenced by society. It's not influenced by culture. Because I'm here to tell you that every generation, society and culture is ever changing. It's ever shifting. What's right today is it wasn't right 50 years ago. What's wrong 50 years ago uh, is different than what it is today. And so... Truth is not this relative thing that's always shifting because then you would have no foundation in which to uh, anchor your lives to. So brothers and sisters, truth is objective. It's not based on feelings. It's based on God's word. Be careful when looking at sincerity. Have you guys ever talked with somebody and said, but yeah, but they're so sincere in their beliefs. Sincerity is something that we need to be very careful because there's many people who are sincere in their love for Jesus, but they're sincerely wrong in their practice of their uh, in their practice of their of their theology. You think about the Apostle Paul for a minute. You guys remember when Paul was named Saul? And Saul, you can look at Saul and his life and what he was doing to the church as he was ravaging the church. Was he sincere in his beliefs that he was doing the right thing? And yet he found out very shortly down the road of the, to Damascus that he was sincerely wrong. And so, brothers and sisters, sincerity isn't a, a necessarily a guide to truth. Saul was a man who was confronted by Jesus. He saw him with his own, his own eyes, and yet he realized that he must be baptized. And he still needed to become a Christian, no matter how sincere his, belief was, uh, his beliefs were, no matter how sincere his love was. Many people today claim to be Christians, brothers and sisters, but can they prove by the Bible that they have obeyed the will of God while not ignoring any of his teachings? You see, that's the problem. There are many sincere people who listen to the, the people that they sit at the feet of on a every Sunday basis and all many denominations and even some churches of Christ who have went apostate. And they hear things, and they see the sincerity of the church leaders, and of the preacher, and of the members, and they think this must be truth. But 
Can what they believe, can it be, can, will it hold up if it's, if, it's, if it's compared to Scripture? Can your beliefs hold up if it's compared to Scripture? You see, there's only one truth. There's only one way. There's only one church. There's only one baptism. You guys remember the seven ones, right? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And in order to get into Christ, in order to clothe, yourself, uh, clothe yourselves with Christ, you have to go down into the waters of baptism. And it's in the waters of baptism, brethren, where you are washed and you are made new again, and you're raised up in newness of life like a new creation as a babe in Christ. And as a babe in Christ, then you start to grow and mature over a period of years, over the period of your lifetime. And you continually should be growing and maturing and transforming your heart and your mind and your soul. And as you do that, you are disciples indeed. So brothers and sisters, as I close this down, God's word demands a response. God's desire is for all men to come to the knowledge and of the truth. The knowledge of the truth and to be saved. God's desire is for the truth to be known. And yet Satan works uh, extremely hard to hinder that truth. So we must contend for the faith. We must contend for the truth as we learn in the book of Jude. And the gospel is the power of salvation. And Jesus is the pathway back to God. And Jesus is the, pack, is the pathway back to reconciliation Amen. with God. Brethren, if you're hearing this message today, and maybe you're a visitor today, or maybe you're somebody who's been sitting in the pews for a while, and you've been hearing the gospel preached, you've been coming to Bible studies, but you still haven't put on Christ in baptism, brethren, I'm here to tell you that you could do that today. Do not put off tomorrow to tomorrow what you could do today. Because we know tomorrow is not guaranteed. Brethren, if you are willing to give your life over to Christ, you can come forward as we sing the song of invitation. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God will add you to the kingdom. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.